Paracast with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Longtime UFO researcher Bill Nell joining us this week. And as we were doing our pre interview, where we get acquainted with people who are going to be on the show, kind of relax everybody or make them twice as nervous, depending on the point of view, I found out that Bill is a fellow New Yorker and that he started in UFO research early, early on. So tell us, what attracted you to the subject? Well, there were a couple of things. Uh, one was the fact that my father had been in the military um, when he was retired. When he retired, he was an Air Force general. So, you know, I heard a lot of stories from pilots about UFOs. Now, having grown up in the 60s, um, most of the stories I heard were pretty interesting because they were in direct contrast to what you'd hear on television. You know, there'd always be these stories about, you know, people that were untrained observers that didn't know what they were looking at, seeing these odd-looking things in the sky that were probably just conventional planes or birds or whatever. But, you know, it's a little different when you've got a guy that's flying a multi-thousand or even multi-million dollar aircraft, you know, saying that he saw something that he couldn't identify. And many of these people were, you know, veterans of World War II, veterans of Korea. You know, they were in the military for a substantial amount of time. Uh, a lot of my father's friends left the military but didn't leave the aviation industry. Many of them became commercial pilots. So these were people that were in the air quite a bit. And when they saw something unusual that they really couldn't identify, had no, you know, no clue what it was, you know, the other pilots would take notice. They'd sit around and discuss it, you know. And I'd, of course, eavesdrop, you know, listen in on some of these discussions. And they were pretty pointed. I mean, I remember at one point we went to a base barbecue at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio back in the early 60s, and Chuck Yeager, you know, General Chuck Yeager now, um, was speaking, and he, of course, was a famous test pilot, broke the sound barrier. And he was talking about an incident that he had when he was flying an experimental plane back in the 50s in the high desert in California. And he said, look, I'm going along, you know, like Mach 1, and all of a sudden this thing comes out basically on the starboard side of my aircraft, pulls in front of me, and he, you know, these, these early aircraft that he were testing did not have a huge amount of maneuverability, you know, so we're talking about something that if this thing had stopped on a dime, he would have been a bug on its window, you know, and he knew that. So then he's, you know, thinking, what should I do? Well, before I could really get into much thought about it, he did turn on the gun camera, took pictures of it, but then it vanished. It was just gone, I mean, just like that. So when he landed, he went down for the debriefing. Normally they'd set up the, you know, the projector, they'd show the film that he uh, took during the day's flight, and they'd have the GE engineers because the General Electric guys built the engines for those planes and flight surgeons and Air Force people and so on. Now, this time, there's no, no <laughs> projector set up. He wasn't going to be showing that film. And just a couple of guys in suits sitting around telling him when he walked in the room that they were Air Force security. Well, as far as I know, back in those days, it was no such an organization. And he'd never heard of it, and they were in, you know, civilian clothes. And they're basically telling him, look, you know, Jerry, look, uh, you know, Chuck, what you saw today was basically a new aircraft, a secret aircraft we're testing, and we really don't want to talk about it. You know, we don't want you talking about it. We want you to forget about it. He's like, oh, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> me and my buddies here, we fly all the new stuff you've got, and we don't remember seeing anything like that in the hangar, you know. <laughs> well, he wasn't buying this story. He completely, you know, he just blew them off. And, see, those are the kind of things that I heard as compared to the statements on television made by the government that this was nothing or it was secret aircraft, that really made me think that there's more to this. And that's how I got involved in it. Having gotten involved in yeah. UFO research, what did you do next? I gather you were, what, high school age at this point? Yeah, I started a club in high school because I had so many people. I had all these books on UFOs, hundreds of them. 
that I bought over the years. And I started loaning them out to friends and people that were interested in UFOs. And because I used to go to all these like you know UFO meetings and stuff, different clubs and groups and stuff. And you know we started like sharing all these things. And by the time I got to high school, I found surprisingly actually that they were a bunch of young people interested in this stuff in my high school. So I figured, okay, I got together with a science teacher, and we like put a bunch of my books in the back of his classroom in this little closet that used to be a little laboratory, and, you know, we loaned them out from there. People could come and get them. And he said, you know, you should really start a UFO club. I'm like, what? He said, yeah. He said, you know, like they have the math club and the chess club and the things like that. He said, you get credit for after school, you know, extra credit, and basically anyone that wants to join that's interested in UFOs like you, can do so. So I said. This is a very rare class. high school, by the way. What high school was this? I went to Boca Ciega High School in Gulfport, Florida. At that time, we uh, we had moved to Florida back in '71. So you know, well, actually, you know, th that was a time when people were very interested in the paranormal. It's definitely, the early '70s was that kind of a time. But you know, I had a very progressive science teacher. Uh, my science teacher himself actually about once a month uh, gave talks on on you know what we would call. Um, Exoscience, you know, things like uh, talks about Bigfoot and the paranormal and ghosts and things like that, but from a purely scientific standpoint. So he was a bit skeptical, but he was very fair. And he loved this idea. So I went and, you know, got a charter up and, you know, basically thought, okay, maybe five people that I knew at school that were borrowing my books might come and join, you know. <laughs> but actually, the first uh, meeting, we had like several hundred people. There was no room for them. And it really blew me away because we had one of the people that showed up at the first uh, sign-up meeting they call where everybody signs up for your club, was a school principal who was this really tough-looking, crew-cutted, you know, ex-Marine Corps, um, you know, a sergeant that had once served in Vietnam. And he actually came to tell us his story of a UFO encounter that he had, seeing the sort of green fireball type of UFO in Vietnam. And the reason he told the story was because during his sighting, he was basically told, you know, the officer of the day said, look, don't, don't report this. Don't discuss it with anybody. The same thing happens every time. They don't want you talking about it. And yet at the same time, nobody knows what it is. So it was a fantastic success. You know, I went on with it for about two years in high school and uh, until I graduated. So and, and it continued for a while afterwards. So I was really happy about it because it brought me some of my most amazing sightings. It was a great way to get started. And it was on-the-job training. I mean, <laughs> when you do something like that, you're, you're in a learning process, right? So I write about this on my website. If people want to visit it, it's ufoguy.tripod.com. So they can read about some of my early stuff and my more recent stuff and so on. Actually, I, I got one quick, one quick question, Bill. So I don't remember Chuck Yeager ever talking about that UFO episode. Was the, did the government tell him to be quiet about that? You know what? I don't know that he ever did, but I know there was a lot of people there that day, and I've actually I've spoken in um, West Virginia where he lives. You know, he's got a ranch there. Mm -hmm. And when I told the story there, we had a big lecture in, uh, I think it might have been Charleston. A lot of people there said they'd heard the story from him on a more personal level, but I don't know that he's ever publicly told it. Um, I sort of doubt it because when he was talking about it then, he was talking about it basically, you know, at an Air Force base, to Air Force people, you know. And I doubt very much at that time that anyone thought it would be a problem. See, by that time, Chuck Yeager had come, become pretty much of a legend. So he was like right, sure. the kind of guy that could do or say, I think he'd probably do or say anything he wanted. I don't think anybody could tell him to be quiet. I think that if he didn't talk about it, it would simply be because I think he felt it was an Air Force thing and that he wanted to talk to it, you know, talk about it with Air Force people.
Hmm. Uh, that's okay. the I mean, I've, I've never heard him publicly talk about hmm. UFOs in one way or another. You know, perhaps he's just not that interested. But, you know, it's like a lot of people. I mean, most people that see UFOs are not previously interested in them. They just have a sighting, and all of a sudden they become a part of UFO history in that sense. Well, looking at your UFO history, at this point you began to develop theories as to what was going on? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I, I personally believed that UFOs were probably manned vehicles from other places, in other words, other planets. Um, you know, there's a lot of theories about UFOs. Some people believe there are other, from other dimensions. you got Jacques Vallée, who was the um, inspiration for the character of the French scientist in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, if you've ever seen that movie. You know, oh, yeah. he's the kind of guy, he wrote just these amazing books about them being interdimensional creatures. I think some of his theories are based on the fact of the way UFOs travel. They seem to come through these sort of stargate things, you know, kind of open and close real fast. And um, now, of course, you know, if you talked about that 20 years ago, people would be like, sure. But what's funny is everything I've said about UFOs years ago, Science is starting to agree with today, you know, because, I mean, you talk about time space as one entity and uh, UFOs being able to warp time and space again. You know, 20 years ago, people were like, hey, you know, today they're more like, wow, you know, that's, that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty interesting to see science kind of catch up with what UFOs can do. And even though most scientists are very skeptical, as are astronomers, about UFOs and the behavior of UFOs, um, you can't deny the fact that much of what they're saying today is exactly what UFOs do. And UFOs have been doing the same thing since the you know, dawn of recorded history. One thing they haven't done much in terms of that uh, is change. You know, they, and, and when they do the same thing on a worldwide scale, I mean, people in America see pretty much the same UFOs that people in Britain do, that people in Europe do, people in Scandinavia, people in Africa and Asia, and so on. Well, certainly there are differences over time in the kinds of UFOs that are studied around the world. Now, there are also flaps that introduce certain types of morphology of UFOs, right? So it's not like they all see the exact same type of thing. Maybe, uh, you know, there have been, for example, um, you know, if you look at this thing over time, you get these reports of, like, hairy creatures in South America where it's pretty rare to find those in the States. Well, what you'll get is you'll get different types of beings, you know. Um, You know, there's a lot of debate about how many types of beings are actually visiting the planet. Um, You know, years ago they held a scientific conference where they figured out that, you know, there could be tens of thousands of different races of beings, you know, either similar or dissimilar to us. So now if even I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm just curious, what kind of conference... Do they have those kinds of discussions? I mean, that doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen at like UFO conferences, right? No, they actually had it at Harvard. Back in 1973, they had a huge conference there. And among the people that were present was Carl Sagan, you know. And Carl Sagan's a really interesting guy because he's always been very skeptical when it comes to UFOs. But even he has to admit that the numbers are there, you know, in terms of how many races could possibly be uh, out there within, you know, uh, our universe, for example, within the galaxy. Well, you know, you know okay, be- let's separate this a little bit, too, Bill. Okay. We do have the growing conviction on the part of science that there are lots of intelligent races out there. We've seen extrasolar planets being identified, and so we see that possibly life flourishes in our universe. Life flourishes in this galaxy. But then, you know, a lot of scientists are still unwilling to consider the possibility that any of those beings have visited us. So are you taking the exclusion theory here that we can't find any evidence for this kind of craft here, therefore it must be extraterrestrial? Oh, no, not at all. Like I said, I mean, I'm willing to consider all possibilities. See, 
One of the things I've learned about being a paranormal investigator is that you cannot afford to exclude much of anything. And there's a lot of theories I don't like. I don't personally like them, but I will not exclude them because they're a possibility. For example, some people believe UFOs are time travelers, that they're us from the future visiting the past. Some believe they're extraterrestrials from the future visiting the past. Some believe they're extraterrestrials from the past visiting the future. Some people believe they're, you know, people that lived on the planet Earth before the terrible Holocaust occurred sometime a million years ago and they're visiting us. So you could go and go and go on and on about that. You know, it's just there's a million different ideas about what UFO UFOs are and who the people that man them really are. You know, I, I guess maybe it's just the way I am, but I think the preponderance of evidence uh, that I've looked at over the years tells me that they're probably extraterrestrials and they're probably more than likely visiting us on the same time frame. However, I say that with the exclusion that they could possibly, because of what we now understand about time-space, also be time travelers. And they certainly, uh, I think, have the ability to do that as well as many other things. But, you know, I personally like the extraterrestrial theory, but I'm not going to limit myself to it. Um, you know, it's just like with, because I'm a paranormal investigator, I don't just study UFOs, I study ghosts and a lot of other things. And I really have to know as much as I can about all areas of the paranormal because what happens is when people come to me, a lot of times I'll get somebody who thinks they may have been abducted by aliens. Well, it could turn out they have a ghost in their house, or I have someone who thinks they have a ghost in their house or they're haunted that turned out to probably have been abducted by aliens. You just have to, you have to have this database in your head. One of the hardest things about being a UFO or paranormal investigator is that most of this, 90% of it, is not going to be written down in a textbook. You're not going to be able to buy the book, the definitive book, because it'd be, it'd be just too thick. I mean, it'd be, you'd need a set of encyclopedias of the paranormal, and there is no such thing. And many of the books that have information about UFOs are incorrect. They get the dates wrong, the places wrong, because they're written for commercial value. You know, they're written to sell books and basically just entertain people. They're not necessarily reference works. They're, they're, they could, not that you can't make a reference work interesting. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but, you know, the point is to try to get the information right. Well, actually, we uh, just recently uh, had an interview with a fellow who wrote the UFO Encyclopedia, which I borrowed from my local library. And I have to tell you, that was an amazing, amazing piece of reference work. Uh, yeah, I've seen that as well. It's pretty amazing. It's, it's something else. Now, I want to ask you a question, though, Bill, because um, on your page here, it talks about how, as an investigator and a researcher, you were brought in to work on movies. And I'm wondering, how does that work? I mean, like, I love War of the Worlds. I thought that was, like, a really great... I thought it was a wonderful movie, yes. So, like, wh how do they approach someone like you and bring you into the movie? And what kind of information do they do they try to get from you? I'm curious about that. Bill, before well, you answer the question about how you got involved sure. with that particular movie... This is Bill Burns from UFO Magazine and UFO Hunters. You know, there are several ways that you can get UFO, UFO Magazine. Magazine. Yeah, we know, Bill. We know, we know, we know. Just shut up. Just give us one way. Don't tell us you're psychic and, you know, give it 8,000 phone numbers and take 15 minutes of our time where we just want to hear the show. Just tell us how we can get UFO Magazine in one way. Okay, okay. Just go to www.ufomag.com. Subscribe online. You happy? Yeah, was that so hard? Actually, harder than you know. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. 
Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. Airy Radio, opening the door to the unknown. Download episodes of Airy Radio directly from iTunes or visit their website at www.eerieradio.com. Bill Nell, UFO investigator and paranormal investigator of great, great experience joining us this week. We're talking about all the things he's done in the field. He got started before he was in high school, and now he's telling us that he was involved in the movie business, in show business. So how did you get involved in War of the Worlds? Well, you know, a lot of people think that it's kind of not a good idea to really get involved with movies. But you've got to remember, one of the leaders in this field, Dr. Dion Hynek, kind of set, set the standard. Uh, Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, came to him when he was making Close Encounters of the Third Kind and said, look, you know what, I want this to be an entertaining movie, but I want it to be a truthful movie. I want it to be based on fact. So what can you tell me? to make this the best movie I can make it and the most factual movie I can make it. And, of course, a lot of what's in that movie is based on the work of Heineck, as well as many other people, as I mentioned earlier, you know, including Jacques Vallée. So when people come to me, they basically are looking for some sort of realism. They're like, okay, for example, War of the Worlds. Okay, this is what we want to make the Martians look like. You know, why would you think Martians, they'd ask me questions like, why would you think Martians would want to come here? Say, well, you know, you could go different routes on this. You could use the old environmental reason. Well, they've depleted everything on their planet, now they want everything on ours, you know. (laughs) That's what most of these movies seem to be about today. I said, you can also, you know, go back to the original story. I'm a big fan of War of the Worlds. I mean, I I had the book, uh, read it cover to cover several times when I was a kid. I just a story that I really liked. And I said, you know, the idea is that they, they, they want, they see something they want and they come get it. And you know what I loved about it? Because it kind of brought home the fact that we as humans are very emotional. And we can't understand beings that react without emotion. And that's exactly what happens in War of the Worlds. You know, these are, uh, you know, they're, they're basically described as cool, you know, cruel intellects. In other words, they're, they're beings without any sort of, they don't concern themselves. It's like people that are abducted. People tell me these horrendous stories of being abducted and implanted with things. And, you know, I mean, the, the beings that are doing but, the abduction seem to have absolutely no interest in the pain that, that they're inflicting. So when you get a movie like that, you know, so what I, what I said was, I said, well, you know what? You should really just, you know, honestly, if, you know, if you want to stay true to the story, we're cattle. I mean, that's what we are in the, in the book, and that's what we should be in the movie. Okay, it's so you were a technical ex- advisor then. Yeah, I was basically, you know, kind of a story advisor, somebody who would give them ideas. And also, a lot of times I help them promote these movies. For example, when uh, a couple of other movies I worked on, one was um, The Fifth Element, which I thought was a very cool, you know, kind of futuristic movie. I loved it with Bruce Willis. Um, I had like, oh, I had like a 15-minute reel of scenes that were cut from the movie that I was showing from the movie, you know, three months before it even came out. Uh, same thing with, oh, just, I, I did several different movies. Uh, uh, the movie that was made about Travis Walton, Fire in the Sky, I don't know if you saw that. But that's another movie where I did a lot of, um, you know, publicity work for the movie. Not only was I asked questions about, you know, what I feel about UFO abductions and how they do the abduction and so on. They pretty much had a lot of information already, obviously, from Travis Walton on that, and he'd be the expert because he went through it. But, you know, they had trouble finding a way to promote the movie. So I said, well, you know what? 
while I'm out there, you know, doing all these seminars, because I used to do 120 seminars a year, um, you know, I will promote the movie. Give me some, you know, video, and I'll show it at the seminars. And I, I'm pretty certain that I had some level of responsibility for the success of the movie, because as I travel around the country and do my seminars, a lot of times I'm on, you know, obviously very big radio stations and shows and television shows, and you talk about things like this. And I believed in the movie because I think that, when it came to the Travis Walton story, a lot of people did not really know the story or they had only read, you know, the skeptical side of it. They hadn't really heard the, the real thing from the people involved. So I liked the way the movie was made, so I didn't mind doing that. I don't really have a problem with um, fictionalizing UFOs because, hey, I mean, that's been done. I, I like sci-fi as much as the next person. And I don't think it damages, you know, the world of the paranormal as long as the two don't, you know, the lines don't cross too much. So, Bill, on the other side of that, you have, like, the real hard reality world, like right. the Wall Street Journal and New York Times. Now, it says on your bio that I guess you've been, you've been in the Wall Street Journal. So how does a, a publication like the Wall Street Journal, which is like, you know, a business publication, What's their angle? Like, what were you in in there that covered this topic? Well, we had a case occur in Queens. Uh, we talked about me being from New York. I was living in Queens back in the 1980s. Okay, let me, I'm, let me get the – I'm trying to basically go back and forth for your travels okay. here. You grew up in New York. You went to Florida. Right. Yep. And then you went back to New York. Yeah, I came back to New York. Um, I lived in Queens. I lived near St. John's University, in fact. Okay. And um, we had a case there where a number of people – were traveling on a bus about 9 o'clock at night, and they saw a large UFO hovering above Casino Park, which is located about a quarter mile from the Long Island Expressway in Queens, and not too far from Queens College, for those familiar with that area. Mm -hmm. And um, basically, this thing just hovered. It eventually landed in the park. The bus driver stopped the bus because he couldn't believe what he was seeing. Now, the people that saw this, because this road is a road that a lot of people travel 24-7. You know, it's just a busy road. Um, I wouldn't call it a major, major road, but certainly a busy one. And, it's, you know, uh, people saw this thing land, I mean, by the thousands. And people living around the park also saw it. So people, you know, that were walking around and stuff like that saw it. So, you know, it left a, I, I want to call it a crop circle, though in this case it was a grass circle because there were no crops. It left some strange material behind uh, that included a type of quartz feldspar that's not at all native to Long Island. Uh, you know, it just involved a lot of physical evidence. Uh, it involved people. It involved a UFO. It involved landing. And um, when I, after I talked to a bunch of the people on the bus and kind of did a survey of people that lived around the park and spent some time investigating it, I did something I normally don't do because I normally don't seek publicity, but I put out a press release on it because I really wanted to hear from more people that had seen this thing. I felt this was a major sighting, and it really became important because a short while after that, there was a similar landing in Russia in a place called Vladivostok. Um, they had the same thing happen where a UFO landed in the park, except in that case, uh, actual beings came out of the craft. In this case, as far as we know, they didn't. But there was a lot of physical evidence. So, you know, this, this really interested. The Wall Street Journal did a story on it. The New Yorker, the publication, magazine, whatever, did a story on it. I mean, Newsday did a huge segment on it. And just everybody did something. I think it was really a truly New York story. And it was a very hard story to debunk because... You'd have to get all these people together, you know, with basically uh, people that had no previous connection to tell a lie. And, you know, that's, that's a tough thing to do. Okay, now let me ask you something here. Of course, we look through your life history. You have a day job, I assume. UFOs well, is not your day job. 
Well, actually, it pretty much is because what I do is I, I speak, you know, I get paid to speak about UFOs, and also I, we have DVD sales and stuff like that. So that's pretty much, you know, what I do uh, nowadays. You know, in the past I've done different things, and I've, I'm a writer as well. I'm a ghostwriter. I've written books for people and stuff like that. So I still occasionally do that. But basically, writing is what I do. Would we be familiar with any of the books you've ghostwritten? I'm just curious. I wish I could, but I'm not allowed to say which ones they are. <laughs> There's about five of them. Uh, I'd say one of them is very successful, the other four semi-successful. You know, most people that come to me, I give them a pretty straight answer. I don't just take an assignment to get the money. I tell them, look, you know what? Your book is really going to be horrible. Don't waste your time, you know? Or this is a cool book. I really like it. So I tend to now, pick out projects, where, even whether it's for my own good or not. I tend to pick out writing projects that I think are going to bring the authors some level of success because it's a big project, not only for the writer, but for the ghost writer and the people that come up with the idea. It's a, you know, it's like a six-month process minimum to get it right. So it's not the kind of thing you want to get involved with and have somebody come to you later and say, ah, you know, and then I, you knew from the beginning this was going to be bad and blah, blah, blah. So, now, Bill, <laughs> um, when you're quoted in a place like the New York Times or like the Wall Street Journal or New Yorker, these are all like very serious publications. Yeah. Uh, you know, when your name appears in those publications, what kind of flat lashback do you get? I mean, there's got to be a certain amount of, you know, maybe positive stuff, but then you've also got to get a certain amount of negative stuff, too. I mean, there's sort of a curtain of laughter around this topic. So, like, if you're quoted, let's say, in the Wall Street Journal, which normally would quote somebody about business stuff, so, you know, you get quoted in the Wall Street Journal, how do you deal with the negative feedback that comes back? ignore it because you know let me tell you something there's one thing I've learned in this field has been my most important lesson I'm never going to be able to say anything that's going to convince a true skeptic that I'm right I'm also never going to be able to say anything to convince a true believer who has a certain theory that they're right whether I'm wrong it, it doesn't matter you know there's nothing you can do and nothing you can say so what you do is you do the best job you can it's like I you know right after that right after um, the casino park incident I had calls from all these people that were, you know, quote, unquote, you know, not attached to a publication, but thinking of writing an article, you know. And they wanted to put this in what they called a, a more proper format. In other words, what they were saying is we want to make this, this whole thing boring and stupid and show it up for the phony crap it is, you know. And <laughs> I'm like, why am I going to help you do that, you know. And, yeah, and but, actually, but, but, you know, despite even though I, But here's the thing. Presumably, yeah. like, you're not putting your phone number in the Wall Street Journal. So how no. do people get a hold of you? Well, in those days, I did actually have a hotline that people would call. Um, now, of course, we have the website, you know, ufoguy.tripod.com. But, uh, you know, in those days, we did have a hotline, and we just would ring off the hook and ring off the hook. Actually, the best thing I was ever in, uh, the thing I'm most proud of, was Omni Magazine. Now, that may seem strange when you compare it to, like, you know, the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Wall Street Journal, the New Yorker, and, and the New York Times. But you know what? That was a very scientific publication while it was being published. And, you know, it actually did impress a lot of people within the scientific field because they really researched the whole event. You know, they went out of their way to do it. They sent people, you know, to talk to the witnesses and stuff. And when they were done, they came to the conclusion that something really happened. And, you know, for a scientific publication, that was pretty cool. So that's the kind of – those are the kind of breaks you hope for. Because, well, you know, sure. when, it's not, well, when a publication actually gets behind you and says, look, we looked at this thing seven ways to Sunday, and, you know, it, there's no way this guy could fix this. You know, it just seemed like it really happened. It makes you feel good. Now, see, now, I used to be a huge fan of Omni Magazine. And, in fact, years later, my interest in Omni actually led me to be in a situation where I partnered up with Bob Guccione 
oh, on, really? a, on a CD-ROM project. Now, I will tell you this. I mean, because of Guccione's involvement in Omni, I don't know that a lot of people would agree necessarily that it was a Syrian science publication. I mean, I think at the time, Bob and his, and his then-wife, Kathy Keaton, wanted it to be kind of a legitimate publication, but they had, you know, sort of the negative stigma of the whole penthouse thing that I think kept gnawing at them in terms of credibility issues. It was well, it wasn't Scientific American, that's for sure. But what I did like was, you know, the people, a lot of people considered it, especially a lot of scientists, thought very highly of it. And that, that was an important thing for me because, again, you know, whether Cuccioni was involved or not, it was a very good quality publication, no question about it. No, I, I loved it. Actually, it broke my heart when I had a one move. I had to throw out my lifelong collection of them, and it was a uh, yeah, not a not a good feeling. I was very no. unhappy about that. Yeah. And again, without the internet in those days, you know, that was one of the few ways you could get that kind of information or you know enjoy that kind of reading. I mean, this yeah. was pre-internet, so you really you depended. I mean, you, you know, if you're a reader, you had a lot of publications coming into your house. You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what are the publications you like today along these lines? I'm just curious. Well, you know what? I, I'm limited on that. I've probably become like everybody else, you know, an Internet junkie in terms of what I read on the Internet. But there's still a few. I mean, I I like the more I, – I do read Scientific American occasionally. I do read Psychology Today. I like that. Um, some of those things are pretty interesting. You know what? Science has become very – how would I say it? Pragmatic. They've become very um, schismatic. You know, a lot more skeptical than they used to be. What I liked was in the old days, and I'm talking about the days probably up until the late 1980s, you had a lot of scientists that were very skeptical but always willing to consider the possibility. You know, now you have these people that run around, these pseudoscientists like James Randi and, you know, people, um, you know, from NASA and stuff like that uh, that just basically dismiss everything. You yeah, know, Randy's been around for a while, though. But he's, he's really come to the spotlight. He's come to the forefront. You know, whereas in the past, people, you know, I know a lot of scientists that considered him, you know, a major embarrassment because he isn't really a scientist. He's a magician. So, you that's know. right. That's right. Let me just move <laughs> on here, though. You know. Hey, neighbors, the easiest online meeting service, GoToMeeting, just got easier. If you haven't tried GoToMeeting, now's the time, because the new version of GoToMeeting has fully integrated voice over IP. With this new total audio feature, you have more audio options by being able to conference through a phone or the web, save time, save money, and be more efficient. Hold an online meeting with GoToMeeting. Try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts. That's GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. Hi, this is Roger with eFoodsDirect.com, and I just wanted to welcome everyone from the Paracast Show. Hi to Gene and David and everybody out there. Listen, we're here to sponsor this radio show because we really like what Gene and what Dave are doing, and we'd like you to help us support them. Now, we are a long-term storable food company. However, the foods that we produce are low-moisture foods. They're very, very high quality, and you can live on them every day. You can literally cut your grocery bill in half or more than half, maybe as much as 60%, by buying bulk foods 
from eFoodsDirect.com. But right now, a recession slash depression is on the way. We're advising people to sell the toys in the garage, hawk off the old jewelry you don't use, pour the money into food supplies before it's too late. I'm telling you, it could be too late. We also can provide water filtration, other needs. Call eFoodsDirect.com and let us continue to support Gene and David here. 800-715-4380. 800-715-4380. Or go to eFoodsDirect.com. That's eFoodsDirect.com. 1-800-715-4380. Hey, this is Jeff Richman. You're listening to David Biedney and Gene Steinberg on the Paracast. And just between you and me, I think these guys are a cult, so keep your eye on them. We're talking to UFO and paranormal investigator Bill Dow this week. David, you had a few comments you just wanted to drop in there. Yeah, no, I think it's important. I mean, you bring up a great point. We have this thing called the Internet, and the Internet's an amazing resource for doing research. So I am reading your, your page on, on, on your Internet site, and um, I like this quote here. Bill is a professional who is never at a loss for words. Uh, well, certainly, so far in the interview, that seems to be true. I'd like to ask you, I'd like to ask you a question, though. Because of the Internet, we have searchable databases. And with searchable databases, for example, you have the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the New Yorker, three publications that you specifically cite, have searchable databases of every article they've ever run, everything. Uh, in the case of the New York Times, I've done searches for pieces that go back to the mid-19th century. I'm curious what your, your thoughts are about the fact that if you go into the New Yorker, New York Times, or Wall Street Journal websites and enter your name or any permutation of your name, there's no mention of you. Why is well, that? I'm sure it's in there somewhere. I've, I've had a similar problem with Newsday. I had like 10 different articles published in 10 years of Newsday, and I can't find one of them right now. Or they want to charge me for them. If I want to find them, i got to pay more money. No, um, actually, that's, the, that's very the, frustrating. The, the New York Times uh, database is actually fairly complete. Really? And, uh, and I've done extremely esoteric searches. As I said, there is absolutely no permutation or combination of your name. Uh, same thing for The New Yorker. The New Yorker was published a couple of years ago in a, in a DVD-ROM format. Pretty much all of the content ever in The New Yorker, ever. And uh, I happen to own those CD-ROMs. They actually are DVD-ROMs. You, you don't show up in there either, Bill. So, and I mean, yet I have a wonderful three-page article from in there, including pictures, in fact. I remember when the guy actually came out, came out to a seminar I was giving at a hotel right at LaGuardia Airport, brought his photographer and took the pictures and everything there. I remember it very well. He had actually mm-hmm. two reporters that, that worked on the article, and uh, it ended up being a wonderful three-page article. You know, I, I can't what are the dates of these articles, by the way? Maybe it'd be you know what? I can look them down. up and send them to you. I actually still have them, believe it or not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I save everything. You know, one thing you learn to do is you build a media kit up because... In the days before the Internet, you needed a media kit, you know, especially when I did, I do a lot of college seminars, and they want to see all that stuff up front. So I still right. have it, and I, you know, duplicate it, and I send it out to them so they can see it, uh, you know, just in case. Because, yeah, I find that very frustrating. I find the Newsday stuff, too. You know, I can't find any of my articles from Newsday, even the alleged Long Island Press, um, which is long, long extinct, but still has the database in there, too, and I can't find it there. So it's, it is kind of frustrating occasionally. Omni, I don't know. I've never tried Omni. I still have my Omni articles. I've never really looked for it in there, but yeah, it's frustrating. But, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a reasonable well, explanation for it, no, the, it's, apart it's, from it, the fact that, I don't right. know, I have no idea. Yeah, well, no, along the same and line. And even the Philadelphia Inquirer. Now, that's the one article I don't have that I've tried to get a copy of over the years. So they did a beautiful article on me when I was speaking in uh, New Jersey, you know, because uh, they, they happened to publish the paper in that part of New Jersey as well. And uh, unfortunately, I have not been able to. I lost my copy of that article because I gave it to somebody stupidly. I never got it back, and uh, I'm unable to find that in their database either. So what can you do? Yeah. 
Well, Gene and I are also huge movie fans. And in fact, as many of our listeners know, I used to work at Industrial Light and Magic. Oh, and, wow, that's uh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I've, uh, if you go to the Internet Movie Database and you type in my name, uh, you can see things, for example, like the fact that I did visual effects on David Arquette's directorial debut, The Tripper, a terrible horror movie that I worked on. But I got to have a lot of fun with Paul Rubens. Interestingly enough, Bill, um, the Internet Movie Database, which is an exhaustive database of all movie credits, you're not in there. So, now, that's, you know, hey, you know what? I'll tell you something. That doesn't yeah. surprise me because I actually did a, a documentary called UFOs, The Hidden Truth. Uh -huh. And my name is actually at the beginning credits, the first thing you see on the screen as a story consultant, and yet you cannot find my name anywhere in the Internet Movie Database associated with that documentary, even though it won awards. Really? Yep. really? Well, it's really and fascinating. You, I'll be glad to send you the DVD just to look at it and see my name on oh, there and then actually, not see it in the database. <laughs> well, well, here's the thing, Bill. You, you don't have to do that because Google Video, another amazing website, has that entire Oh, do they really? Online, yeah. And, uh, Very cool. You're, you're not listed as story consultant. Yeah, actually, so I am. How did, how did they screw? Well, no, anybody can go look at it. You can go look at it. Any of our listeners can go look at it. Well, you know what? It might be a later version because the first version that they did that was done by a company in Kansas City, uh, the original version, uh, had mm -hmm. me on it. I don't know about later versions because I know they changed it and it became like a longer movie. It became a religious movie. Um, at some point, and I think when it became, if you watch the religious one, that's probably the one you're talking about. That probably no, doesn't no, listen. No, 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 I'm talking about the one about UFOs. Yeah. Well, it's, they're both about UFOs, but see, one was turned into kind of a religious, you know, rant. Oh. Has the same beginning up until about the middle. Then they have this kind of like religious professor come in and sort oh, of like start talking. And, cuts. Oh, I got it. Okay. Yeah, one yeah. of those deals. Yeah, they sell it in Christian bookstores and stuff. Because the guy who originally made it made two different versions. He made a version for public consumption, which he was hoping to sell to HBO but never was able to do. And then he made a uh, version with this kind of professor guy on there for kind of like religious consumption, which, mm -hmm. you know, I guess just... He sold a lot of copies of it, I'm assuming it's just for the Christian community, so he kind of did a lot of alterations to that, which I wasn't very happy about, because I was never told that was going to be done, and not that I would have minded. I mean, I'm certainly not anti-religious, but it just would have been nice to have told me about it. You know? Right, but then they took your name off the beginning, too. Yeah, they put the professor on there, because he's, he's in more than half the film. I mean, they cut half the film down to half of what it was. They, I think they left the part where the abductions start, and they cut mm -hmm. it right there, and then they put this guy, and he's talking for the last, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes of the film, and mm -hmm. it's totally different from the film I had, so kind of depressing in a way, because yeah. like I said, it would have been nice to, just to kind of tell me about it, because then uh, I used to sell it at all my seminars. People loved it. And then I had, when I started trying to get more copies, he told me, oh, I don't have any more. And then when I saw one in the store, I bought it just to see what was going on, and I said, what happened to my film? It's got the same box, but uh, there's this little thing on the bottom that says, are they, you know, something like, are they from another world or are they demons? I'm like, what? That wasn't my film. <laughs> now, now recently, yeah, yeah. Now, Bill, recently I was listening to your interview on uh, the Erie radio show, the Erie podcast, DK and his partner. We, we like them. They like us. We're the two shows are friends. And um, you were talking about a, a really interesting thing about Walter Cronkite. Could you share yeah. that story with our audience? Yeah, sure. Um, one of the things that happened to me was kind of coincidental. After I started the UFO club in high school, one of the, the high school librarian at my library in Bogusiega was uh, a, name, a gal named Mrs. Michelle. And I didn't know it at the time, but she was actually married to a guy named George Michelle that had, like, the number one early, early morning show uh, on WSUN in those days, television, which was actually just, just on before 
the Today Show was, you know, preclude. So, of course, a lot of people watched it. Mm-hmm. And he heard about my little UFO club, and he sent actually sent a reporter from the St. Pete Times over to cover it. He eventually had me on his show. He had some of the people from my, well, I wish I had those tapes. Those were some pretty good things from my group on the show. And, you know, he eventually, because his show ended up being syndicated throughout Florida, and as time went on, uh, I guess somehow or another, Walter Conkai was doing this, like, 1971, uh, I don't know, it's like, UFO, it was supposed to start out in different things. It was supposed to be a documentary, then they turned it into a, they were going to put it in piecemeal and news reports. I don't, I think it ended up being in piecemeal, but it was supposed to be a documentary, but he had some control over it. So he invited all these UFO people to New York. I was one of them. I don't know how he ever even got my name, but he liked the idea that my dad had been in the military and kind of liked the idea that I could go and, uh, talk about some of the stuff, you know, that was being talked about, military pilots and stuff. So, you know, I had lunch with him. I wasn't the only one. There were a lot of other people there, too. But he, we really had a decent talk, or I should say I answered his questions as briefly as possible because I was so nervous. And then out of the blue, he tells me this story about how that he was a pool reporter, basically a reporter, you know, that was sent out to watch some kind of a missile test in the 1950s at this small South Pacific uh, atoll, you want to call it, not even an island. You know, to make a long story short, because it is a little bit of a complicated story, during the test, this missile is about ready to take off, and all of a sudden a UFO classic disc appears above the missile, uh, shoots a blue beam down at the missile, at a guard dog and a guard nearby, uh, freezes the guard dog in mid-jump, freezes the missile just as it's taking off. Within this, this all happens in a space of less than a minute. I want to say even less than that, according to what Cronkite said. But he basically said that, um, you know, the missile was destroyed. The blue beam was let go. The dog, guard dog was fine. The guard was fine. Everybody, you know, the reporters, maybe 25 of them, were kind of shuffled down into this blockhouse, I want to say it is, and told later by a full bird Air Force colonel, look, you know, this was a test. We wanted to see how the media would react to the sudden news of, you know, visitations by extraterrestrials or something like that. In other words, what they were saying was it was a setup. And, of course, Cronkite gave me the impression, and it meant a few words, but he gave me the impression he didn't believe the story. And nobody else did either. And they came up with this really quickly written, you know, fresh off the mimeograph machine kind of terrible press release or whatever you want to call it, statement about what went on and how nobody could talk about it. And it was, you know, a test and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, when Cronkite left there, I got the impression that it left him a UFO believer because he certainly did not believe that what he saw, the technology he viewed at that point, was something we had available. It wasn't something right. that we could so do. So, Bill, Bill, you know, the Paracast is a very popular radio show. We've become, okay. in, in many ways, sort of a, a reference point for a lot of people in terms of serious discussions about this. I'm looking at an email written by Walter Cronkite where he claims that he does not believe in UFOs. He does not admit to telling you any story. He says that he told you no such story and that this is completely fabricated. What's your well, response that may, to that? May, that may be you know, an email that he's written today, but I know that I heard it in those days, and I'm not the only one who's claimed to have heard it from him. Uh, he's allegedly told it to one of his assistants, to other people. I know that there was at least a couple of people I've met on the road during my tours that have said they've heard it. So, you know, basically, I'm not the only one he's told it to. So I guess he'd have to say that, that he doesn't believe in UFOs 
never told the story. He didn't just never tell it to me, never told it to anybody else either. But I'm, I'm not sure either if I was ever the first person on the Internet to put it on there. I think I was, but it's been on there for a long time, so it's possible that other people have put it on there as well and heard it because it's certainly all over the Internet. Actually, and I don't uh, think I have that many fans that could have gotten it all from my one site. So it's yeah, a very no. old story. But, you know, I'm just telling no, you from my old perspective. Stories, I can't, yeah, sure. No, right. I no, can't old speak stories, for other yeah, people, right. but, you know, I'm just saying from my perspective, yeah. This is what I experienced, and this is what happened. Now, as far as he wants to deny it now, hey, you know what? I mean, I got the impression back then that it wasn't something he really wanted me to talk about. So I didn't talk about it for years. I didn't, probably didn't talk about it for 10 or 15 years. Then I kind of just started telling the story because I thought people would find it interesting, and I felt like 10 or 15 years was enough. You know, he wasn't on TV anymore at some point. You know, he left CBS, and I figured, well, you know, uh, maybe someday he'll talk about it himself. I know that Richard Hoagland, who's a science advisor to him at one time, I've asked him to look into it and talk to uh, Cronkite, I don't know if he ever did, but I've certainly spoken to him about it, and he seems to feel that it was a possibility because uh, he says that Cronkite probably did believe in UFOs, so that would kind of be in direct contrast to what you're telling me, but, you know, again, we all have our own opinions. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Hey, let me tell you what. You're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? Now, hold on, Gene. Hold yeah. on a second. Bill, I'm not expressing an opinion. I'm uh, referencing Walter Cronkite's words. That's not an opinion. You're well, you're assuming it's from him. I mean, I have to take your word for the fact that you're telling me it's from him when I have no way of knowing this. And, you know, it was not informed. It would have been nice to have informed me of it beforehand. So I could have done a little research in it, but, you know, hey, this is the nature of, you know, go get them journalism these days. Well, actually, we only got this information a few moments ago. So I'm sure you did. As a matter of fact, we got this information probably about 15 minutes into this interview. And one thing I wanted to ask you about, which I had picked up this information, maybe you're able to amplify this further. We know that UFO organizations don't always agree with each other, don't always get along with each other. And I heard this story that at one time when you were running a UFO organization, I guess back in New York, you were exposed to a very costly lawsuit. What was that all about? Well, that came from a man who was in a mental institution, <laughs> a guy named John Ford. He ran a group called the Long Island UFO Network. And when it came to New York, he felt that, you know, he's a very disturbed individual. He just felt like, you know, everything UFOs was his. He used to harass not just me, but all the MUFON people, just about anybody, anybody and everybody that had to do with UFOs. Well, finally, in the 19, early 1990s, he was arrested for trying to uh, poison local officials with some sort of radioactive material. You know, it's, you can, since you like looking things up, you can find that in Newsday. You know, basically put away for life in a mental institution because he tried to kill some people. So, you know, it's sad. But occasionally you are going to get these kind of people 
that feel like, you know, and, and you know what? This is in danger of dealing with the paranormal. You can become obsessed. I always tell people that want to become paranormal researchers, you know what? Don't get obsessed. Don't spend your grocery money on this. You know, don't get to the point where you're so obsessed with the subject that's all you can think about. Okay, you know, what was he claiming in this lawsuit? Go to a lawsuit. movie, relax, do what Bill, you want. Bill, yes. what was he claiming in this lawsuit? Oh, well, he claimed something like I had defamed him because I'd revealed the fact that he had made statements about trying to kill me and others. You know, and that was the truth. I mean, I sent a letter to libraries where he was speaking. I, you know, they were uh, telling me that I couldn't speak at the library anymore. They were going to put him in there because it was a guy who was a former court officer, you know, somebody with a lot of credibility. I'm like, no, he doesn't have credibility. He's threatened everybody on the island who's been involved with UFOs and caused people a lot of misery. I know people that literally moved away because of the harassment of this man. So, you know, this was somebody who was really, you know, deeply disturbed and caused a lot of trouble for a lot of people. You know, as I said, not just me, but move on people and just about everybody else as well. See, the, the problem here, Bill, is you bring up the word credibility. And uh, so far, we've asked you about your movie credits, and apparently Internet Movie Database is completely flawed. The complete databases of the New Yorker, New York Times, and Wall Street Journal are completely flawed. Listen, Bill... The visual effects supervisor of uh, War of the Worlds, post-production was done at Industrial Light and Magic. Visual effects supervisor is a guy who I used to work with, who I actually just wrote a story online about a friend's wedding I went to, where I was placed at the uh, at the dinner table next to this gentleman and Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman. True story, there were people there. It can be confirmed. When I say I'm on the Internet Movie Database... You can go find me. I'm in there. Uh, there's no claim I'm making that's not supported. You talk about working on movies. I'm going to guess, Bill, that if I call my friend at ILM and ask him to follow up with this to find out who you d dealt with at Spielberg's company, I'm going to guess I'm going to run into a brick wall, and there's not going to well, be... Well, you know what? I'll save you the trouble. I'll send you yeah. copies of the emails that I have from the people that worked on that asked me to work on the movie. Then you can follow up directly with them. How would that be? be? Great. That'd be great. Because I still have the emails. I never get rid of an email, because that, you never know when you're going to want those... You want those same people at some point in the future. So, right. you know, they, but, but, they emailed me first. No, I didn't do it the other way. I never asked to be involved with anything. So, how, how do you people explain... Well, me. So, these are unpaid positions? Yes, unpaid positions. Yeah, I never took money for this. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't movie companies pay normally people who are advisors who get credit for something? Well, I took something else instead. I, I said, look, I don't want the money, but I want stuff. So, like, for example, with Fire and Sky, a lot of the other movies, you know, I took, uh, you know, people, we gave away jackets, we gave away T-shirts, we gave away tons of posters, uh, you know, these really are more valuable to me because when I go around and speak, people love this stuff and they really enjoy getting it in my lectures, you know, and actually probably for the small amount of money I'd get because I know it's never much for that kind of a thing, uh, you're better off getting all the merchandise because the merchandise is more valuable and I love giving it out. People really enjoy that. They love getting that stuff when they come out to my lectures. So yeah, for me, in the long term, it's a much better deal. Well, for credibility purposes, the thing that you really want is a credit. So you can back up your involvement in these different... You well, know, you know, I can see what you're after doing, and you know what? If that's how you feel, but I will we're send you the emails, and you know what? I'm basically, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and allow you to attack me because what you've done is very rude. It's not correct. You could have sent me all this information in advance. I would have been more than happy to provide uh -huh. you with a proper, uh, you know, rebuttal. But instead, you just yeah. keep saying the same thing over and over again, trying to make me look bad, you know, putting we're people in insane questions. asylums. You're saying someone in the same asylum is more incredible than me. So you know what? The interview's over. Thank you very much. Well, see, that's sad. We didn't even get to bring up the whole thing about the dog breathing and the dog brokering, Gene. I bummed out. This was awful. What about <laughs> what about quoting people's articles without attribution? 
There you go. We didn't bring it, get to bring up the plagiarism stuff. We didn't get to bring up his, you know, piracy of DVDs. We didn't get to bring up the whole thing about ripping people off for the whole dog thing, the whole business. We didn't get to any of that. That's the first time anyone's ever hung up on us. See, now, for people who say that we've hung up on guests, which we've never done. Actually, I hung up once on Bill Birds and let you guys chat. But, you know, Bill and I are friends. It's all good. Gee, this guy, boy, when questioned about these things, he just kind of, you know, sort of didn't want to deal with it. And we were attacking him. I mean, he's going to sit there and say that, you know, oh, I'm in the New Yorker. I'm in the New York Times. I'm in the Wall Street Journal. Their databases are wrong. No, they're not. Okay, the databases (laughs) are wrong. The Internet Movie Database is wrong. The credits, the movies were mysteriously recut. So that his participation is is removed from that that? particular movie. The letter that Walter Cronkite wrote where he says things that confirm that this is not true. Yeah, well, you know, that's not, it's an opinion. That's Walter Cronkite's opinion. Sure. People don't understand the difference between opinions and facts. Right. Um, You know, look, this guy, and we have some members of our forum who uh, have written extensively about this guy. This guy is a joke. And, you know, people are going to now attack us. You were rude to him. Uh, I don't think we were rude. We were asking questions he had no answers for. Uh, now, he was, gee, I guess it's the first time the man's at a loss for words. He hung up. <laughs> He's never at a loss um, for words until you question him. Yeah. And you uh, ask him simple questions like, you're making a claim. Fine. Yeah, Where's the article? Would you send us an email now? If he had this yeah. article from yeah, the New Yorker, yeah, yeah. he could have emailed it. He could have emailed uh, a reference yeah, yeah. to the sure. New York Times. Sure, he will. Yeah, we'll be seeing that stuff after the fact. Of course we will. Not. There'll be nothing coming from Bill. There'll be nothing. Right. And if because, he's so big in the field, why is it that he his site... Now, let me explain something to people. You yeah, want to get right. a website? You know, like johnsmith.com. You get your website. You can get it hosted by a professional web hosting service for about $4 a month. This guy goes to a place called Tripod, which gives away free websites, so he can't afford $4 a month to have a website, a real website. I don't understand that. If he's such a big deal, he's being written up by all these publications. He is basically a technical advisor to motion pictures. Is there a union thing, by the way, about being a technical advisor to motion pictures? I doubt there is, no. It's not considered a production or post-production position. So I I don't think there's a... Uh, any kind of a union thing. It's not part of the Writers Guild, certainly. You know, a consultant's a consultant. And uh, there's no reason to believe any of it. Actually, I'm looking at a quote here from uh, a frequent guest on our show, someone who, who I know I personally have had differences with, Stan Friedman. Stan Friedman, very respected guy in the uh, field. And here's the quote. Nell is best described as a scoundrel who could not be believed about anything. He used to sell other people's videos without permission and make many unsubstantiated claims, a discredit to the field. Well, Stan, apparently he's still selling other people's videos without permission, which for those of our audience who don't understand the ramifications of that, that is a federal offense. Duplicating and selling other people's videos, pirating other people's stuff is a federal offense. They throw you in jail for that kind of stuff. It's not a misdemeanor. You do hard time for that, okay? Anybody is free to go up on the Internet, look at consumer complaint databases. You will find more than a few references to Bill and his wife and one of their kids, I think, in a business stealing money from people with, uh, I guess they're like a dog broker or something. Dogsforfun.com. 
And so. there is a site called ripoffreport.com. Ripoffreport.com. The, without going into details, he had this site called Dogs for Fun. And apparently this all came out this year. This is not something that's 10, 15 years old. This report mm. was filed in April of this year. Mm. And supposedly he collected money for a specific transaction, apparently selling dogs. Yeah, mail-order dogs. He took the money. There was no dog. You know, which is just absolutely heinous and hateful, okay? that That's basically as low as you can get. Stealing people's money, they think they're going to get a cute little puppy, and they get squat. This guy's ripping people off. This is absolutely detestable. This is disgusting. Now, people might say, well, why are you doing this on the Paracos? Oh, the guy knows so much about UFOs. My response is, can't believe a word he says. Basically, the guy has zero credibility. You just hear, heard him spin a BS story about why he's not in the databases of the New York Times, New Yorker, or Wall Street Journal. I specifically asked him, so what was it like being quoted in there? He had the chance. I gave him the out, essentially, Gene, to say, well, I wasn't directly quoted, but they covered a story that I turned them on to. Now, see, if the guy was intelligent, he would have covered his ass and basically saved himself from... The exposure. Also, I am an online subscriber to the Wall Street Journal. We get the print edition. And I didn't get into this because it wasn't worth it. While we were talking, I went to the WallStreetJournal.com, WSJ.com, and I look for the name Bill Nell. Just the name. No connection to anything. The name Bill Nell cannot be found on WSJ.com. What happens, and this is what the New York Times used to do, the New York Times used to serve up ex, you know, abstracts or a little extract of an article, especially if it was like more than 40 years old. Nowadays, they're moving more and more of the stuff online, where I think most of the New York Times editorial content is now not only searchable, but readable online. So, yeah, I did specific searches for William Andor, Bill Nell, those two words together, and they're not there. And to claim that those data, well, I have the article, but I can't understand why it's not in the database. It's nonsense. But that's what it is, Gene. This guy is claiming to be a big macher in the UFO world. He's claiming a huge amount of credibility, and he has none. And if the Paracast is going to be the only show that's going to take these people from time to time and hang them out to dry so everybody can see what the deal is here, too bad if we're not new-agey, woo-woo, love and light. Okay, too bad. There is enough crap floating around in this pool to basically muddy up the whole conversation. And like Uncle Stan says, this guy discredits the whole field. And as someone who's really interested in trying to get to the reality of this, I am personally offended by people like this. I am personally offended by someone who is making money stealing other people's content. You and I are professional journalists. We have written stuff for many years now, and plagiarism is something that personally disgusts me. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll go one step further here, Gene. There are a lot of writers in the technical field who will take something that they've written, and then if they have to write another article about the same topic, will repurpose some of their content from an earlier piece, copy and paste it, plug it in, and then change it a little bit as to now present it as new copy. I never do that. I never do that. In fact, recently, I wrote a big thing for Mac Life magazine. It was a first look at Adobe Photoshop CS4. I think it was like a 3,000-word article. And that showed up, and then I had to review the product. And what I decided to do was not to, like many writers would have done, 
even pick up the same points of the first look article and rewrite them into a review. Instead, I told the magazine, hey, I want to do something different here. Instead of like re-encapsulating the top features and basically running the same thing except cut down, condensed, abridged, let me write something that is instead a discussion of should you upgrade? Because I referenced the earlier piece, hey, if you want to read about features, new stuff that I find compelling, go look at the first look, which is also online at their website. But now if you want to figure out whether or not you should spend your hard-earned money on this product, here's who I think should upgrade and here's who I think should maybe not upgrade. And that was the nature of my review, which was a very different kind of a review than MacLife normally runs. But they agreed that my approach to this made sense and was the right thing to do. So when it comes to editorial copy in a technical world, I don't even repurpose my own stuff. I write fresh content because I have standards and morality about the issue of writing. I have never vaguely plagiarized anyone's work, and I find the issue of plagiarism heinous. And we'll go into, in the second hour of this episode, just why this man is guilty of just that and many other things. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietney. Frank Warren, you know, after listening to Bill Nell, the first person who ever hung up on us. That's right. In a like situation, would you feel offended or grateful? In regards to him hanging up? Sure. <laughs> well, I was hoping that uh, we'd get to the some more of the uh, the juicy bits of some of his activities, but it seemed to me that he felt the heat. And interesting, you know, the other thing, too, or at least my perception of it, was his answers had either seemed scripted or practiced, or both. Mm. In regards to, uh, you know, uh, when David was saying, uh, well, you know, how come we can't find any of this? Say, for example, uh, the New York Times article. Mm-hmm. Um, it, well, I, I don't know why you can't find that. Uh, there's got to be a reason for that. I, you know, it just seemed real scripted to me. Well, given the fact that this seems to be a career, uh, he's made a career out of defrauding people and, and some of the nefarious activities that he does, that just seems natural uh, that he has an answer for everything. Well, I have to wonder, of course, now that we have this guy who stole $50 billion and they're first getting onto it now, you wonder, a guy like Bill Nell, who's a small-time character, really small-time, why isn't he in jail? You know, that's a good question. Well, you know, let's back up a little bit and, and let's, why don't we share with the listeners, first off, why I'm even involved in this. Right. And that started with uh, with us at the uh, UFO Chronicles uh, publishing an article for Angela Joyner. And she had been meaning to do this for some time. And ironically, there happened to be another significant uh, sighting in Stevensville. And for the listeners that don't know, Angela Joyner, of course, was the mainstream uh, media reporter that, uh, in essence, got credit for breaking the Stephenville story earlier this year. In any event, she was going to, she had planned to uh, pen an article, basically a general article on ufology, and uh, just by chance there was another major sighting. She went out and interviewed the witnesses, did all the legwork, and wrote an article about it. We published that, I think that was on the 20th of November, 
simultaneously an Abilene mainstream uh, Internet source also published the same article. And about a week later, I got an email from Angela, and it was just a one- or two-liner stating that, you know, I think this guy has just done a copy and paste of my article and sent the link. And I immediately recognized the name of Bill Nell, and I and at that point, what I knew about Bill Nell is that he was a frequent uh, writer uh, on the UFO topic and was a self-proclaimed investigator. Didn't think too much about it. I, I just initially thought, well, he's probably writing about the event, and he undoubtedly took the essence of her article and, and was writing something about it, as he frequently does write on current events and ufology. Um, went to the site. Scanned it again, no big deal, real busy, didn't get back to it for a day or two, and then I uh, read it paragraph by paragraph and and reread her original article, and sure enough, he, in fact, actually did a copy and paste. Um, and I thought, wow. And I says, okay, well, maybe I missed an attribution in here somewhere. I mean, this was rather forward, to say the least. And went through, again, it was on two separate pages, two separate URLs, found no mention of uh, Mrs. Joyner's uh, work or the fact that she was the source of the article and the originator. So I got back with Angela and I said, you know, I'll send him a, a diplomatic email and, uh, and, and a request that at the very least that he insert an attribution and a source and a link back to the source. And I did that. Uh, he, he, he responded immediately, I, I think within hours. I'm sure it was the same day. And he came back and he said, I used the material with permission and placed links back to her and UFO Chronicles on my website. Op-ed allows limited linking. Now, at the time, I was not aware that the article was on his website as well. And when I'm reading, as I was reading that email, I'm on, I, I now went to his site as well as the Op-ed news site. And I, and I have both articles or both sites up. And, of course, there is no, uh, there's no link back. There's no attribution. There's nothing. So his first response to me was an out-and-out -out lie. As I responded to him, well, the first thing I asked him, I says, well, where did you receive the permission? I says, uh, in regards to Angela Joyner, she was the one that brought this to my attention, and you certainly didn't get it from her. In regards to who could authorize the permission, in my mind, it would be the author, Angela Joyner, myself as one of the publishers, or the Abilene newspaper site, and I know none of us gave any uh, permission to use the article in any way whatsoever. And then just just to be sure, I called Angela at that point, and I said, has anything changed? Have you given, have you since given permission to use the article? And she said, no, I've never even heard of this guy. And I sent off that, that email. He replies, the op-ed editors simply disapprove articles with more than one URL link. I will check to be sure that the proper uh, URL links to the original article are up for the website. And then he, he ends by saying, I originally received the article in question from someone else in, uh, in a text form. Now, by that time, I had, I had looked at the op-ed site. I looked at all of his articles where he had, uh, in different articles, he had ins inserted various links. So I knew that, uh, again, that was another lie. There, there was no limitation to links. Uh, or anything like that. So now this is the second response from him, second lie. 
And I wrote back, I responded to that, and I said, I'm sure the op-ed editors would be more concerned about the ramifications of what they have published than how many links are included in the article. And I said, as, as however, as stated before, although a link back to the source is common courtesy, nevertheless, that's not the issue. Now, at this point in, in this conversation I'm having with him, I haven't mentioned, I haven't used the word plagiarism. I've been pretty civil. In fact, I, I mentioned in that article, I said, I've tried to approach this problem with discrete civility and offer a simple solution. No one has asked you uh, to remove Angela's material, as I believe most authors and publishers of her work would do so under these circumstances. I have purposely and graciously avoided using the term plagiarism in this matter and have given you the benefit of the doubt as previously noted. All that has been asked is to give credit where credit is due. Finally, at, at the end of that email, I think at that day or maybe the next day, he inserts on his website, not op-ed news, uh, he puts in some interviews for this article were done by Angela Joyner of StephenvilleLights.com. <laughs> Due to editing restraints, we are unable to give credit on the same article at Op-Ed News. Oh. Again, now here's what he is, what he's calling an attribution, and it's again, it's another lie, because he could have easily. I've been in contact with the Op-Ed News editor and owner. Rob Call, and he explained that that's not the case whatsoever. He says it would be very simple, you know, to put in a link or edit the material. And uh, in fact, quite frankly, Rob Call at this point has seen the actions and done a little investigation on his own in regards to Nell, and he's removed all of Nell's material uh, from the site. To me, at that point, that just added insult to injury. Now, again, I was ignorant to uh, the actions of this particular character. I, you know, I just thought he was a writer and, and uh, interested in the subject, and, and did some personal investigations, etc. At that point, I started to educate myself on hmm. this guy. And the first thing I did, and, and I think it's what you did, David, was uh, let's go to his bio and, and look into some of the claims in his background. And, <laughs> I, I mean, you can't... Uh, read this stuff without laughing for example he states in his bio at his website he's personally investigated thousands of unexplained events thousands uh -huh. thousands personally investigated thousands of unexplained right. events must have a lot of time on his hands uh, apparently and given the other hundred things that he claims to have done I, I he's working on a different clock than we are um, I don't know anybody that can say that they've personally investigated thousands uh, of events, given, given the time involved just to investigate one event. He states that he has been a speaker at colleges and universities where he's broken attendance records, once <laughs> set by the Beatles, Jay Leno, Howie Mandel, David Copperfield, etc. Now, just, just for S&G, I took somebody that is uh, currently on the lecture circuit with uh, colleges, etc., uh, whom I know. And just as a test, I went to Google News site. You can take a, a search engine of your choice. And I, and I typed in uh, Robert Hastings, whom is active in the college circuit. Now, if you do that, and I invite uh, your listeners to do the same thing, you'll see uh, hits all over the place for Hastings and in various parts of the country at different universities. You'll see hits from college, uh, newspapers, etc. Now, I did the same thing with Nell, and guess what I found? 
Zilch. Vodkas. Nothing. Vodkas. Vodkas. He goes on, he says, uh, I've, uh, he's been seen on hundreds of television programs worldwide. That's right. Okay. Hundreds. So again, I look into this. Anything. Anywhere. He says he's been on CNN, CNBC, uh, ABC, NBC, etc. And in contrast, again, I took somebody uh, that we know that uh, has done these, and I, I used uh, Stanton Friedman as an example. And I typed in Stan's name, and I, along with CNN and other things, and you immediately get references to Larry King and various news programs he's been on. You can do this on the on uh, Google's news search engine, or you can just do it. You can just Google it, and it's all over the place. Try that with Mel. Huh. Guess what? Again, nothing. Zilch, nada. I mean, it just it went on and on. Then he gets into the publications, of course, and uh, the the New York Times and uh, what else? And, and, and here's Wall the thing: Street Journal. Right now, now, Frank. Here's the thing. So yeah, he gets into the publications, and the guy is obviously, you know, I, I've heard people say, well, uh, you know, he he he's intelligent. I I contest that. No, he's not intelligent at all. Uh, the guy basically makes claims that any monkey can go check. You know, in the case of New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the New Yorker, you can get on their websites and you can search their entire database for any occurrence or any article. In the case of the New York Times, this goes back in, in well into the 19, into the nineteenth century. You, know, you can go back and look for things for the last hundred and some odd years, and the guy's name which, shows which is up. What I did, by yeah. the way. That was one of the first things I did. I looked all through there. I used Bill Nell. I used William Nell. Nothing. I used just Nell. Right. Nothing. Nada. Nothing. Bill. And, and, and here's the thing that people need to understand now about the first half hour of the episode, where basically, guys, what I did is I gave this guy a way out. I gave him a way out. You know, you, you said that when you communicated with him, Frank, you were being polite. Well, in the first half an hour... I gave him a way out. I, I, I basically said, gee, what's it like being quoted in the New York Times, you know, the Wall Street Journal? How do you deal with people coming after you to try to get a hold of you? Now, at that point, he could have easily have said, well, they covered the article that I brought to them, but, you know, my name didn't get mentioned in there. He could have covered. And, and then what are you going to do? What are you going to say? But no, he took the bait and he bit down on it like a hungry fish. He just bit them. Oh, yeah, well, it's great to be in, uh, on those pages. He slurp, just, slurp, slurp. And what was his response? His response was, oh, you know, I, I don't know why I'm not in there. Well, we know why you're not in there, because you're not in there. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwoods. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, the soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack! Attack! A 
of the Rockaways is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockaways, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene in data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. I do know that we're talking to Frank Warren. I know that's true. And that that's this true. is not a hidden fact. This is not surreptitious reasoning. You know, this is really authentic. Frank Warren, the real Frank Warren. How do I know that? Because I recognize his voice. David recognizes his voice. By the way, I'm, I'm pinching myself as we speak now. I, I apparently <laughs> seem to be real. Okay, I'm pinching myself, now, too. Now, but, now, but ouch, just here. a minute here. I pinch myself, too. It, uh, important, uh, let me make this note. At this point in time, again, I, and I'm doing this in sequence, I'm just looking into his background, and... Uh, well, and it's also important to note that uh, much of my research uh, is often finding people in the past. You know, I'm involved in a lot of historical cases, you know, Roswell, Aztec, etc. So I'm set up to research people uh, from long ago. I've got databases uh, ready to go that I can immediately search, and I run I run names down a gambit uh, to find information about old witnesses, uh, or if we're vetting a witness. So I treated this I treated him as as a witness that we would either be vetting if somebody if somebody comes up and makes a claim that they were involved with Roswell or whatnot. You know, I run a name through a certain gambit as I did with this individual. Uh, but initially, I was just checking uh, the credentials that he is is offering uh, in regards to his bio, and I couldn't find any support uh, of some of these claims, or actually, at this point, the majority of his claims. Now, let me also put the, throw in the fact that he has been involved uh, in ufology for decades. Uh, he has spoken at events. Uh, he has done some of these things. But to go from there uh, to to some of these these statements that he's making is just absolutely ludicrous. Heard on over a thousand top-rated radio programs worldwide. Um, in fact, as I recall, in the first hour, what he gave a number of how many seminars he's done this year or annually was. I don't recall the number. I don't remember that number, but but he's he he claims on his website he's done over fifteen hundred lectures. Yeah, not I'll buy it. Yeah, fifteen hundred. It's that simple. It's if you do the math of how many times he'd have to be speaking a year over X number of years to do that, it just doesn't compute. It's a lie. How many well, speeches I- has Stanton Friedman given? Over what, 40 years or 50 years of lecturing? Precisely, precisely. And I, the figure of 120 comes to mind in the first hour. I might be wrong. And I'm All thinking right. this guy's saying that he's doing uh, two gigs a week. Where? Yeah. Yeah, come on. Well, and this is the other thing. Yeah, look, we're, we're all involved in this thing. We know uh, what events are going on and who's speaking. Uh, I help advertise them, for God's sakes. Uh, so, so do you folks. I mean, we, we put a plug sure. in uh, now and then for various uh, gigs that are going on. We know who goes to these events and who speaks at these events. I don't recall Bill Nell ever being at one of them. 
in, in recent years. And, and the way that he speaks, that uh, he's the keynote speaker at all of them. And, uh, and again, now, this, uh, at this point, this whole thing's starting to crumble in regards to his bio and who he, uh, he claims to be. Oh, then we get into the movies. Consultant of the X-Files, Independence yeah. Day, Men in Black, Men in Black 2, Fire in the Sky, The Fifth Element, The X-Files series, the movie uh, War of the Worlds, and on and on. I checked the uh, the movie database, one of the first things I did. Again, yeah. no mention whatsoever uh, in any of those. About the movies, I've worked on movies. I used to work at Industrial Light and Magic. I have a lot of friends there, okay? So... Uh, one of my friends there was the visual effects supervisor for War of the Worlds. So I made a call. You ever hear of this guy? Of course not. Now, the thing was that Nell claimed that one of the things he helped them with was the look of the aliens. Now, here's the thing. When you're going to claim that you, someone who has no experience in the graphic arts or visual effects... You're claiming now that you're talking to people at the company, and, and I specifically asked him, yeah, who did you deal with there? Well, I have to go dig up the email. Yeah. M meanwhile, you think he ever sent those emails over? No. Um, that's because they, you know, don't exist. To, to make a statement that you, as some schlub, are consulting with the designers, the artists at Industrial Light and Magic, the top visual effects post-production and production house, on the planet, the top place, that you're somehow giving them advice on designing the visual look of things, boy, you've got to have some kind of chutzpah to do that, okay? That's just because, again, you don't know who I am. This is like when we once had a, a guy come on this show whose name I will not mention and uh, made some ridiculous claims about some photographs, and I said, well, you know, Maybe I'll look at those photographs and debunk them. And, and I think the line on the show is he said to me, what are you, some kind of Photoshop expert? <laughs> it's like, yes, yes, you moron. Yes, you troglodyte. Do your, do your due diligence for Christ's sakes. You're coming on a show. You're so knowledgeable. Do some due diligence about who it is you're talking with. You know, Nell could have easily looked me up on the web and seen that. I worked at Industrial Light and Magic. Maybe I have by the, friends By the there. way, I, I did do that. In contrast, I, I did, in fact, do that. I ran your name in, in that very same database uh, as mm -hmm. a test of the database. You yeah. do show up. By, which, by the way, one of the other claims that Nell has is that he's written several books. I went to the Library of Congress, ran his name, nothing, zilch, nada, yeah. again. Yeah. And in contrast, to test the database, I ran Gene's name. Guess what? He's there. He's written a lot of books. Uh, yeah, he's written a lot of stuff, Gene. It's crazy, I ran right? David's name. Guess what? Yeah. He's there. I ran Stan's name. Guess what? He's there. I'll tell you what. Just, you run Grayson Steinberg's name, my son. Guess what? He's 23 years old. Actually, he'll be 23 next month. Or He's there. Bill Nell. No? Nothing. Goonish, no. nothing. So it makes you wonder. So it, is this guy? Well, first of all, if you're intelligent, you don't go around lying like this because you got to figure that someone is going to plug your name in a database and is going to realize you're full of crap. Which, by the way, this now needs to be said. So here's this guy. He had shown up recently over on uh, Erie Radio, and we're buddies with those guys. And and I haven't emailed them yet because 
I listened to his interview on their show, and I'm a little disappointed with them in that they didn't just plug his name into Google. This is not rocket science. Just plug his name into Google. Do a little bit of due diligence. And, and the thing is, when we have guests on the Paracast, we do do some research about them. We do type their name into a search engine. Why? Because it's so freaking easy. This is not difficult to do. And we had to confront them with this stuff because this is another yutz that goes over to the George Snorri Show, shows up on there, has this major exposure, and nobody over there. This is a, this is a, a radio show that makes millions off of this stuff. Nobody over there plugs his name into a search engine. He, he was on uh, Coast to Coast with George Norrie in July of this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I did email the boys over at Erie, and uh, anything associated with Nell has been removed. Oh, really? Okay. Um, yeah. Now, it's something to point out, too, in regards to just uh, doing a... Uh, a casual search in regards to Nell. When I did that initially, and, and again, I, I was completely ignorant to the activities of this particular guy. He is out. He's all over the place in terms of articles he writes and whatnot. I had to peel off a couple of layers to find some things out. In fact, at that point, I'm now uh, at that stage of the game when I realized that his bio is just bull. In fact, the, the thing that came to mind was just, this guy's a liar. And here, here's a bit of irony. I, I took his name, put it in quotes, and on that note, typed in liar. And I could not believe what came up. Well, I was going to recommend I, people do that and type in the word fraud. Well, and, and either it's the same or. Kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, 275 hits under Bill Nell and Liar. <laughs> And oh, things yeah. that came up that uh, Catherine and William Bill Nell, family embezzlers, liars, thieves, scammers, beware. State's attorney's office. Uh, are these people lied to the state's attorney's office? This is a separate one. Embezzler, liar, um, internet embezzlers. And, and let's be more specific about this. Let, let's let's be very specific about this now, because you know one of the things that I personally just detest are people who take advantage of people who are in uh, a bad situation or people who take advantage of people with emotions. So when you do the uh, search for Nell and liar and fraud, what do you come up with? Well, there's a website called The Ripoff Report, a great, great resource. And what do we find on there? Arizona Pups, azpuppies.com. These sleazy, slimy, subparamecium scumbags. Let's are, not sugarcoat it, David. No, 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 because here's the deal. <laughs> they are pulling people's chain, and they are ripping people off with puppies. So how can you make this just so heinous that it is absolutely, it is over the edge of being distasteful? Why don't you explain to our listeners exactly what are the nails doing with puppies? What they claim to do, they claim to be working with co-ops of breeders, and they are basically turning them. They've turned themselves into middlemen. They basically collect money from people who want a puppy, a cute little puppy, who send them big money for the puppy, and then either they don't deliver a puppy at all, or they show up with something completely different than what the people wanted. 
And they have been doing this for years. They have been trafficking in living creatures. This really, truly is disgusting. It's important to point out, too, we're not talking about change either. Some of these transactions were in the neighborhood of $2,500. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. There are literally dozens and dozens of complaints uh, in regards to how, uh, well, they were just pure scams. They would either not uh, come up with the animal or it wouldn't be the the animal in question that was purchased. Uh, It just goes on and on. There are literally dozens and dozens of complaints of this repetitive behavior. I mean, a blatant scam uh, to defraud people out of money. Uh, I was just appalled. Uh, it, really, it just get, it gets my goat. I'm an animal lover, and this just makes me crazy when I see this kind of stuff. And apparently, I, I, it looks like one of his kids perhaps has joined him in this uh, lovely little venture. It, it's just disgusting. It, it really is. It's heinous. And, you know, I'm not sugarcoating it, guys, because this kind of behavior, there is no justification for this. This is absolutely disgusting. And and this is a guy who, the problem is, of course, for those of us who take the UFO topic seriously and want to have serious discussions about it, this is a guy who puts himself out there as a hero figure in the UFO world. And then anybody in the legitimate press could take a guy like this and basically put him up as a poster boy for the slime in the UFO world. And by any kind of association harm all of us. Every last one of us who's really interested in this from a genuine point of view, this guy puts himself forward as one of the good guys. Anybody in the real legitimate world does any kind of due diligence on this guy. You come up with all this stuff, and now, gee, another shyster. The field's full of them. You can't believe anything said over there. It it poisons the pool for everyone else. Before we poison anything else, let's just straighten things out. Okay, neighbors, did you know that food will make your future fearless? You know, we're going to have runaway inflation with all of these bailouts. And if you don't understand why, you better check it out or your life may depend on it. Before runaway inflation occurs, smart people are converting their paper money into gold and now gold into food. We've seen runaway inflation in other countries. The only way to survive is to buy things and stuff that we'll need later while the money and gold still have value. When a truckload of cash or several pounds of gold won't buy a loaf of bread, the only answer is to already have your own bread. Folks don't realize that with the worldwide famine and food shortages, food is about to become so precious that will actually establish the value of gold until there is no food left at any price. Food will make your future fearless. Call 800-715-4380 or go on the web to efoodsdirect.com. Call 800-715-4380 or efoodsdirect.com. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast.
we're talking to Frank Warren, and we're doing the postmortem on the strange case of Bill Nell, who I guess has never figured out a way to do honest UFO research. Well, and the, and the plot thickens. Uh, the plot thickens? You mean, you mean this is not the end of it, there's more? Not at all, no. Oh, it's geez. just the tip of the iceberg. At this point, and again, remember, when I started this trek, this all started from a little, uh, from an article that I thought that uh, he probably took a few liberties with. Had, and here's the irony in this thing. Had this fellow uh, done, had he just sent back an email and said, my God, I apologize, you know, I didn't insert an attribution in there, and certainly we want to give credit where credit's due with uh, Mrs. Joyner's work, I will remedy this situation immediately, I would have been none the wiser. We would have let it go, I I would have gone on my merry way, and I wouldn't wouldn't know anything about this Bill Nell character. But instead, he chose to respond and lie. And second email, lie. Third email, lie. Fourth email, he puts an attribution, which just which is salt in the wound. Well, first off, it wasn't even an attribution. He tries to make, he spins it where it looks as if Angela Joyner is working for him so he could write this article. And, and that, quite frankly, just pissed me off. <laughs> well, I wonder trip. about with a guy like this, though, is how does he continue doing it year after year and people are taken in over and over again? By now, of course, I haven't followed this guy's career. It may have been in my mind of years ago. Now, for example, before we did this episode, I talked with Jim Mosley, who's known everyone and everybody in the UFO field. Now, he talked to me about the lawsuit, but he didn't tell me at that time. But, of course, he confirmed with us later. And I think you talked to Jim Frank also about this. I did. That our friend Mr. Nell threatened Jim Mosley's life. Now, whatever you have to say about Jim Mosley, Jim Mosley is a harmless person. He doesn't mean anybody harm. I mean, he's played hoaxes in the UFO field. But as an individual, he's really just a regular guy. I mean, he's just trying to survive like everybody. Why do you want to threaten his life? Well, you know, interestingly, and of course, uh, Mosley has been writing in one fashion or another since 1954, and we know him, uh, we all know him in ufology as, as the uh, editor of Saucer Smear, which has been with us in one form or another since 1954. And he wrote about Nell in the mid-90s, and also the uh, there was a, uh, an association, there, I guess there was an ongoing feud with then John Ford, and he, uh, Mosley had written about that. And, and interestingly, Mosley had recounted some of the nefarious activities of Nell in regards to DVD pirating and plagiarism back then. Now, that article, or a couple of articles during that time frame, that was about the mid-90s, and he's indicating history of Nell doing that at that point in time. Now, apparently, from the, what I, the gist that I got out of it is that that upset Nell and that there were threats made on Mosley's life. Um, and this was written, by the way, in Saucer Smear. These are uh, these are quotes out of Saucer Smear. But uh, just to uh, do due diligence, I called Mosley, as you did, and, uh, and and wanted to get the straight dope from the horse's mouth. And he again reiterated what he had written so many years before, uh, and he, he verified that all of that, in fact, was true. 
so this just stands another, I mean, this adds a whole other uh, level to this, the character and the pathology of this. And, and in regards to, uh, you, you asked, well, how does this guy get away with all this? And again, trying to give everybody the benefit of the doubt and testing databases and is the information correct? After, after reading dozens of these complaints in, in regards to the animal business, I thought, okay, well, these are anecdotes. Somebody's upset. There's always two sides to the, the story, even though there were dozens and dozens of complaints, some that were very heart-wrenching, by the way. Uh, one in, involving a, a disabled woman, wheelchair-bound woman, uh, that needed a, a, a very small toy dog that they defrauded her out of $2,500, which really got my goat. But going now that's mail mile, fraud. That's, I mean, you do that through the mail, the federal government takes over. Well, he, he he apparently is guilty of a couple of federal crimes, and we'll get to that in a minute. But one of the things that I did is, uh, and again, I'm I'm set up to to vet witnesses and research people, etc. So I went back and I found some of the places that Mel had lived, and I went and I started uh, researching online court records. For example, Maricopa County in Gilbert, Arizona, where he lived. Uh, I, I just ran his last name, Nell, and it was interesting to find that there were uh, a multitude of civil suits that were going on. These were the things that were very easy to find. I'm sure if somebody spent some time and really dug into it, it would be a complete different story. But just, just off the cuff, just in a matter of minutes, you could see the, uh, the civil suits that were brought against them in the same theme of defrauding people and so forth and so on in regards to the animal business. And I just thought, my God. And then I went back further. And again, you'd see uh, that this was repetitious, that this was uh, repetitive behavior over a span of 20 years. So this isn't, this isn't a fluke. This isn't something uh, that just happened. And, and there's possibly there's a mistake here, a mistake there. This is a career. And it was chilling. I mean, it was chilling. From that point, and this is, I, I mean, it just gets worse. Uh, I go back to his website and uh, searching around for some of the things, and I get to the DVD page. Uh, amongst the many, many things that he sells, uh, the other thing he sells are UFO DVDs. So I start to scan that page, and up comes a DVD uh, on the uh, Aztec crash. Well, I know, uh, being involved with uh, Scott Ramsey and the Friends of the Aztec Library that put on the Aztec Symposium and knowing Paul Kimball and whatnot, I know who produced the uh, Aztec video, which was uh, Red Star Films, Paul Kimball. Uh, I know who owns the rights to it, and I, I know everything about it. And I'm also very familiar with the cover. Well, here is the uh, Aztec DVD has Scott Ramsey's picture on it and a backdrop of presumably New Mexico somewhere. So I pick up the phone and call Scott. And I say, Scott, his, uh, and, and he actually was aware of what was going on uh, at this point anyway because I talked to him about every other day. And uh, I says, uh, just for curiosity, I says, has the uh, Aztec DVD changed in any way? Is it a different cover or anything like that? And he says, well, no. Why do you ask? I says, well, the one I'm looking at has your picture on it. And I says, oh, by the way, it was the picture that uh, that you sent me that we published uh, on UFO Chronicles where we uh, put your uh, articles that you write. I said, so somebody's borrowed the photo uh, off of our website, and apparently they're, uh, they're selling it, uh, and it's on the cover of this DVD. And he said, really? And I said, oh, by the way, they're selling it for nine ninety nine. And he says, you're kidding. And I says, no. He says, well, that's below cost. <laughs> and I says, well, not if you're making them. <laughs> and 
not if you're pumping them out on your desktop computer, you know. So I go through and I see a few more. I see uh, Linda Howe's work on there. I saw um, Out of the Blue, the uh, fifth anniversary. James, James Fox's, Fox's yeah. work, etc. We didn't ask um, James Fox, by the way, on the previous episode about Bill Now. I thought maybe it was just too much. I didn't realize there were so many people that he has done things to. Well, he was completely ignorant to that. But I've since spoken with Fox. And I asked him point blank. I says, is this person authorized in any way to sell your DVD? Of course and he not. Said, no. Yeah. Uh, he said, first off, there are no more DVDs right now. And I That's said, great. he says, what was he selling it for? I says, twenty bucks. And he says, what? And he says, he says, no, there, you can't get the uh, the DVD anymore. I said, well, I know where you can get them. <laughs> you can get them for it? twenty bucks. Well, the other question is here: Do you actually get a DVD for twenty bucks? Is he making duplicates, or is he just taking the money and running? That would be the million-dollar question. I'm not about to and test of course it, it, folks. It's all, no. you know, it's a presumption at that point what the end product was, you know, what would be. But the what we know for sure is is that he's not authorized to do that whatsoever. And then the images that were associated with the, say, the Aztec DVD, uh, if that is in fact what you get if you buy that from him. You know, that is not an authentic, uh, that's not the authentic cover for that particular DVD, and he has no right to sell them in any event anyway. The authorized distributor is Tim Crawford, and he's been contacted on this matter and has stated that he's had trouble with Nell in the past. Linda Howe, by the way, who was one of the first people I called, and she was livid. She has sued Nell in the past for this very same thing. And just she just could not believe it. I, I, in fact, I had to hold the phone about two feet out from my ear and talk. <laughs> now, this guy has been sued right and left. Complaints have been made yeah, against him. It, it, anybody yeah, it's, it's win, habitual behavior. Habitual behavior. Anybody win a lawsuit against him? You know, someone winning. Here's a million dollars. Does he have a packet full of judgments in his desk drawer, or what? I would. One would have to assume that that's the case. Oh, interesting enough, by the way. Now, you, for your listeners, of course, the interview was recorded, as this one is, and you did that on Monday last week and Tuesday. And, and I don't know if, it, if, if he was just feeling the heat in the interview that uh, you folks did with him. But by Tuesday, that DVD page was gone. Yeah. The entire yeah. page was gone. If you clicked on it, uh, you didn't. Actually, he re I take that back. He, he took his page out and he replaced it with a link to the UFO store that also sells DVDs. Now, this has nothing to do uh, uh, with the UFO store, to the best of my knowledge, and I don't think that the UFO store is guilty of uh, any piracy or so forth and so on, and, and none of this is intended to be aimed at them. Uh, and also, I think it's important to point out that, that Nell does legitimate business, in addition to some of these pirated DVDs. He does surround it with uh, legitimate business. And and I in no doubt there's probably some sort of arrangement between him and and the UFO store, but I just thought it was interesting. Immediately after that interview, that entire page is gone. But 48 hours goes by and his page is back, edited, and by my count, 20 of the DVDs are gone, and of course the ones in question that were blatant. The Aztec DVD is missing. The uh, Out of the Blue DVD is missing. The Shag Harbor uh, DVD was missing. Linda Moulton Howe's work uh, is missing. The Black Vault uh, uh, with John Greenwald is missing. Hmm. So he, he went through with a scalpel and removed uh, any of the DVDs 
that in my view and, and in the view of the owners were blatant. And he did that in a very expeditious manner, <laughs> in a, as, as, as if there were there was practice involved in this. You know, you know one uh, one story I heard from Jim Mosley was that back east he was arrested on gun charges. He and his wife. And I think that's why Jim was afraid to say very much about the threat on his life. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. And by the way, we're not going to threaten anybody. We're only going to tell you that you're listening to Frank Warren joining us on the Paracast to talk about, well, a character who is pulling a lot of stuff for a lot of years, and I hope he doesn't wait till he's 70 like that guy who took the $50 billion on the Ponzi scheme before he's caught. And that's the question, too. Is there any criminal record from Bill Nell anywhere, anywhere in the country where he might have spent a little time in the big house? Certainly when he lived in Arizona, he had the tents. You know, Sheriff Joe here in Arizona has those tents. And if you do bad things, although lately he just goes after illegal aliens, he doesn't capture real criminals. But, which is a political issue, I guess. But is this guy spending any time in the big house, Mr. Nell, Mrs. Nell, the little Nells? You know, you, one would have to think that that would be the case, but I, I haven't seen any evidence of that. But I mean, just given the law of average, uh, you know, when, you, when you're making this a career, uh, that, that's just the cost of doing business, one would think. And given the severity of some of this stuff, I mean, pirating DVDs is a federal offense. Um, and, and going across state lines with mail fraud, another federal offense. You just one would think that that, that in fact is the case. Which, by the way, some of these complaints, there are, uh, there are local, uh, police officers involved in the investigation of Nelb via some of the complaints for, uh, defrauding people in, in this pet thing. I've noticed two separate uh, officers in the state of in Indiana that have, on the be behalf of some of the victims, have been involved in investigating uh, Bill Nell. It, you just, you know, it's, this is so repetitive, you just have to think that, that he has, in fact, done some time. But I haven't seen evidence of that. Uh, yeah. this. And, and again, I ha you know, although it does seem like I've spent a lot of time with this, as things go, I really haven't because it, I've just been so busy with other things. These are things that were just easily obtainable in regards to this fellow's background, uh, aside from the obvious. I mean, some of these claims that he's made in, in, in his bio are just ludicrous. But I did go through the steps, it, you know, give the guy the benefit of the doubt initially and go, okay, well, let's check some databases. And then I used uh, uh, other sources of information or other names to check the database. 
you know, I did that with the uh, Library of Congress, did that with the, the New York Times. Let's see, the, perhaps there's a flaw with the database. Not the case. Not the case at all in any one of these answers. We also need to mention here, Frank, that I believe it was Gene had asked him, you know, so what do you do for a day job? Now, he basically, you know, danced around it and didn't mention the pet business. Uh, it didn't didn't come up. So, you know, the question is, well, if you don't, if you don't say something, you know, if you don't reveal something, does that mean you're lying? And, you know, people might say, well, you know, he, he did he really lie about that? And it's like, well, yeah, he did. <laughs> I, I, I wonder these days where people can't see a lie when it's right in front of them. Yeah, the guy basically was asked, you know, do you have another, do you, do you have a day gig? No. Never brought up the, the dog business at all. He's not still yes. in the dog business, is he? And well, I, well, I think he some is. of the complaints, if they're recent, yeah, yeah, they're they're up to just a few months ago. I'm looking at one. What of the part of the country now. is he living, by the way? He is in Lebanon, Indiana, according to the information that that I have seen. Okay, so maybe under the radar, maybe under the earth, so the authorities can't catch up with him. Well. well yeah, I, I don't know. These are the big question marks. I mean, he's he has had police contact uh, from some of these complaints in regards to refunds and how he's defrauded people on that end. I'm just wondering if they just don't know the uh, his entire picture, and they probably don't. Um, interestingly enough, the uh, the number that was used for your interview, uh, I was able to look into that. And that's about a mile or so away from the address that he uses uh, for the pirated DVD sales. So for whatever reason, he did not do the interview at the address listed uh, at presumably his residence in uh, Lebanon, Indiana. Hmm. Um, I, I thought that was interesting. Uh, and there's another name that comes up with that phone number altogether. That just, that just seemed odd to me. So, you know, here's the thing. Uh, there are probably a lot of our listeners that are listening in right now thinking, you know, why why are they doing this? Why can't they be full of love and light? And, and oh, by the way, a completely peripheral note to this, um, our disastrous broadcast of our interview with Alexandra Holzer, the daughter of Hans Holzer, which we we, we documented on our, on our forums, the lovely little email exchange between myself and Alexandra Holzer. I actually originally got in touch with Alexandra Holzer through, yes, Bill Nell, because he has on his website his little speaker bureau, people who he represents, and she was one of the people. So I originally emailed Nell and, uh, uh, you know, asking about getting in touch with Alexandra Holzer, and He's the one that put me in touch with her. So not that you're listening, Alexandra, but I know that it's all about the love and light for you. You might want to learn a little bit about the people you do business with. Um, you know, be, it's always good to be aware of the reality of your life. And the other question is, if he is representing her, does she get the checks? Well, not that there were any checks that we were giving out, but it's it's certainly of in terms of he's representing her as far as a, being a speaker. As a speaker, well, sure. presumably he takes a cut of that. You would you would think he would. He would get some kind of an agent fee. Um, but yet there again, Alexandra Holzer's name is tied to this guy. This is one of her associates. And again, addressing that issue of why we're talking about this, the fact that it appears that this is the first time anyone has taken this guy to task 
This is the first time in terms of, you know, on a show saying, hey, this is who he is and confronting him with it to the extent where, yeah, he was the very first interview where he uh, where we had somebody hang up because he obviously couldn't take the heat and he had to hang up quick. And so hopefully we are now drawing a line in the sand and we are going to make sure that people know about this guy and what he's up to. As I said, I mean, not to, not to keep banging on the point, but that this guy is defrauding people um, from uh, uh, in a business sense when they want puppies. I mean, man, I just, I tell you, I see red when I think of well, that. You know, I think there's two issues to deal with here. Yeah. Um, first, the first issue, of, of course, is that this this person is not who he says he is in regards to ufology seminars and so forth. And if somebody was to take his bio at face value, the the layperson would put him in in the caliber of you know, somebody like Stanton Friedman or Timothy Good or you know, that sure. kind of. Well, he's not that person whatsoever. That that's one thing. And then and you can also meld that with the plagiarism issue. And for those of us that write or publish, etc., that's a heinous crime. Oh yeah. The other issue is, as it appears to me, the way that this look, if you profile this person, that he is using the internet as a tool to separate people from their money, yeah. and some of it is legit. And some of it is not legit, and he's victimizing people using the Internet. That's right. Uh, it, it appears that the methodology is to get out there in any way that you can. And one of those means was, for example, if he wrote a, uh, an article on op-ed news, op-ed news being what it is is picked up by the Google News search engine. So within hours, it is all over the Internet. Um, and for those of us that pay attention in, in regards to anything UFO-related uh, that comes through a, a mainstream source, you know, that comes up on radars all over the place. Now, from there, there are links uh, at Op-Ed News. The, the, there are links back to his website, and his website is full. It's a myriad of different sales scams. He sells anything from A to Z. Uh, how self-help books he he claims to have written all these various books you if you go through and slice up that internet he he is selling every kind of snake oil you can possibly imagine so the more that he's out there the more traffic he's going to get in and then the more people he can victimize you know it's interesting um, here too with all the stuff he's pulling his website's a free website that you get on tripod.com it's a free website that people get whereas you can go out there and get your website hosted for like three or four dollars by a legitimate web host with a legitimate domain. No, he has to have a free site. I mean, this is ridiculous. If he can, if he can even do that anymore, because there he, by my count, he's over. I think there's at least a half a dozen websites, particularly with the animal deal that he had. You know, the, the websites there. I think it was it was the ArizonaPups.com. Yeah, easy piece, um, Yeah. Yeah. There's there's at least a half a dozen websites that have been shut down. You go to dead links, um, and obviously one would think that he wouldn't have done that himself. That's just another uh, doorway, another portal for him to to take somebody's money. You know what so we should I, be doing? We should write to Lycos Incorporated, who runs Tripod, and explain to them you've got somebody there who is perpetrating frauds, and you're giving him a free website, and that's not right. Not a bad idea. The other 
uh, situation if you are on a free website. You you can't go to internet. You can't do a who is search and get any information on them. So it's almost uh, it's a it, you some might argue it would be a defensive measure. Um, undoubtedly, some of the people that were defrauded early on when they had the legitimate sites up, and legitimate mean meaning that they were uh, registered with a, uh, a regular registrar. Um, you know, you can do a who is search uh, if in fact the they did a public uh, entry opposed to uh, you know you can privatize them now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm certain early on the. the just through ignorance, they probably did do uh, a public one, and then people were able to track back and find these people and make complaints. Right. Uh, and obviously that was done. I mean, they were the authorities were contacted. In some instances, the Lebanon Police Department was involved, et cetera, et cetera. But then over time, you see that all these uh, all those websites have been shut down, and then the tripod site comes up, uh, which again, of course, is free and you and, and can't be tracked. But on the other hand, they do have a place where you can report problems, abuse. And you know what? Somebody's going to be writing a letter. I'll tell you what, anybody, go to tripod.com, anyone listening to the show, and write a letter reporting abuse from this guy, Bill Nell. Especially if you've been victimized. By the way, you know, we haven't really surveyed our listeners to see if some of you out there try to buy a dog and it didn't happen. Some of you bought a book and you got nothing for your purchase or you got something obviously a counterfeit if you've been victimized by this go to tripod.com and report this but also feel free to report to us too because we want to shine the light on this deception and shut this guy down for good i just want to say one thing uh, completely distasteful uh, I, I hope there's a special place in hell a little room that's absolutely full of puppy poo where they stick this guy in head first and just let him marinate for just like, I don't know, a million years. His wife, by the way, should join him. Maybe his kids, at least one or more of his kids, have done the same thing. I just, just the puppy thing, it just makes me crazy. This is something that just gets me nuts. It pushes one of my buttons. Southwest like puppies. It certainly certainly does seem to be a family business, by the way. Yeah, Uh, yeah, absolutely. So basically, the gene pool was intact. Yes, and and I would wager that there are complaints uh, with Lycos and Tripod, and and of course there will be much more. But here, I'm looking at a complaint now from a gal that was defrauded uh, with a puppy, by the Nels, and she writes, Meanwhile, after telling them that I thought they were dishonest, I reported them to the IC3, FBI, and other law enforcement agencies, the FTC, USDA, Visa, my bank, Western Union, the state attorney generals of Indiana and Arizona, AKC, uh, AKC, uh, ATA, American Kennel Club, yeah. Uh, links, yeah. uh, then, then she goes on and says, Links that there are a couple of dozen websites listed under Bill Nell's name pissedoffconsumer.com, riptoff.com, and a few other TV and newspapers. Boy, she really upset this woman. Uh, And then she goes on to say, I was contacted by a Sergeant Richards uh, of the IC3 State of Indiana Police. That uh, was when I found out that the puppy and littermate supposedly died. It is difficult to try to believe anything they say. Sergeant Richards told them they had a week to give me my money. The week came and went, and he paid them a couple of visits. Uh, anyways, this went on for weeks, and she finally did get money out of them. If you push hard enough, listen, we don't have a lot of time left. So we just tell people, you know, buyer beware, that's how it goes. Frank Warren, you sent us great material online. 
knowledge is definitely power. Can you tell our listeners just where they can get a hold of you or check out the stuff that you do? Well, of course, we're at the UFOchronicles.com. And we're being, uh, we have readers now, I'm happy to say, in, in my last count, in over 140 countries, and we're growing exponentially. Uh, one of the things that we do there, too, is we have what I call the My UFO Experience Portal, and that has been a great success. We get reports uh, every day, every other day, in regards to unique sightings, etc. In fact, uh, uh, Chris Bledsoe, that was recently on the uh, uh, Discovery Channel documentary, reached out the other day and, uh, and shared uh, some of his experience with us. And anybody out there that has had a particular UFO experience like that can go to the site and they will find at the top of the page, click on the My UFO Experience, and they can send in uh, their particular experience or sighting, etc. And here lately we would like to hear more from veterans, anybody in the military, uh, anybody that's had a sighting while in the military uh, or anything that's connected in that way would be much appreciated. Well, uh, we, t- we said this to James Fox last week. Frank will tell us to you. Uh, this week we, uh, we like to think you're one of the good guys, and we appreciate you coming on the show to, to bookend this episode because you know we spent the first hour with a shyster and a charlatan, and it's nice to balance that out karmically for the second hour with one of the good guys. So we thank you for that, C- sir. Certainly appreciate the kind words, and uh, I guess third time's a charm for being back on the Paracast. <laughs> and we, uh, I certainly enjoyed it. Hopefully the next time around we'll have something more positive uh, to talk about. Uh, Absolutely. Exposing people like this, this character. Thanks for yeah. joining us on the show. Thank you, guys. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.